Hello, welcome to Watering Seeds, a podcast conversation that reviews and reapplies the preached word to our own minds and hearts and to those of our listeners. Watering Seeds is a podcast ministry of Covenant Reformed Presbyterian Church here in Asheville, North Carolina. Today we will be discussing our recent sermon on the end of Genesis 9. The title of the sermon, Who Covers Your Shame? It's the dark chapter at the end of Noah's life. To hear the sermon, you can go to our website, covenantreform.net, click on the sermon tabs, and give it a listen. My name is Sean McCann. I'm one of the pastors at Covenant Reformed, joined as usual with my fellow pastor and fellow host, Chris Brown. Chris, welcome to Watering Seeds. Hello. Thank you. How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm my arms are worn out. I was gardening all day yesterday. I was tearing up soil, hoping I didn't hit a power line. <laughs> and I am here today. Okay. You got power at home. I still Internet. have power. My neighbors have power. Yeah, there you go. All's good. How about you? That's funny. We were digging some holes in the yard yesterday and came close to a number of different lines Uh-oh. that are underground. Uh-oh. We have an invisible dog fence we got to watch out for. Cable line. Got some drainage lines. Mm. Anyway, we're too far out of the city for 411 to do, to do oh, us any good. They don't come over? I don't know. I didn't oh. try. I oh. just started digging. I, I tried. They're just taking their sweet time. I believe it. Yep. Well, uh, on that introductory note, yes. <laughs> call 411 if you need, before you dig. Uh, yes, please do. Uh, it has almost nothing to do with yeah, I don't, shame being covered. I don't have a good your transition. Your shame will be covered Yeah. if you've called them. There you go. There you go. Our sermon deals with shame and some other unseemly topics uh, in Noah's life and Ham's life. Chris, I'm sure you were familiar with this passage before. The mm-hmm. sermon, quite frankly, covered a lot of different topics, big and small. Tuesday afternoon, over 48 hours later, what sort of sticks out to you as you if somebody asks, what was the sermon about Sunday? What mm. sticks out to you out of all the things we talked about? Or I talked about, I guess, from the text. Anything in particular? It would it would be the Christological element, the 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 gospel element, which I think you addressed at the end, mostly of the sermon. That is what stuck with me. Can you explain in particular? Uh, yes. Okay. Fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That Noah, his his dad, it seems like he kind of expects him to be a kind of like a Christ figure, mm-hmm. the one who's going to bring the rest. Yeah. Um, that's why he names him Noah. Um, and instead, just like Adam, the first Adam, he, he fails. Mm-hmm. And just like Israel later, he fails. And um, instead, he serves to show us we need a better, a mm-hmm. better Adam, mm-hmm. uh, a true second Adam who mm-hmm. will obey and who mm-hmm. will be our rest. Yeah. Yeah, good. I'm glad you heard that yeah, gospel message. Of course. I guess another way to would say dads don't have high expectations for your kids and uh, <laughs> kids if you struggle under high... Yeah, I think some people go that way in Genesis, but it mm. is our conviction uh, that every sermon is about Christ and every text in some way points us to Christ. There's a lot we sort of had to work through to get there, though. <laughs> There's mm-hmm. a lot of interpretive questions about this, uh, this passage. You know, I'm curious... We were talking about this with my kids afterwards. You know, Noah lives 930 years. Is that what the verse said uh, there at the end? 950. Uh, 950, right. We kind of have 
really two stories from Noah's life. Hmm. One long one, he's hmm. known a little bit more for, and, uh, and a shorter one. And, and one of the questions sort of came up as we were just discussing, not having a great answer for it, but why are... You know, why are certain things in the Bible and other things aren't? You know, a whole lot of other things must have happened in Noah's life besides the flood. Well, the flood's a pretty big one. I mean, mm. it's the biggest thing that happened. Mm. And, but there's, I'm sure, other things that happened besides this, you know, one night of drinking. Mm. But for some reason, in God's sovereignty, he chooses these certain stories to highlight his truth, highlight, highlight importance narratives in that chapter and the Bible as a whole, different mm. ways to point us to Christ. Any thought on that in particular with this passage? Yeah. I mean, I think we'll <clears throat> we'll probably see this as we go on in Genesis with, especially with Abram and, I mean, the one you, you pointed out I'm going to preach on, when is that? A couple weeks from now? On, on Mother's Day, on um, how he tells... Is it which which king he tells? It's the, fir- it's it's the, the first, first of the happens. two times yes. he lies about his wife. Yes, he lies about his wife and says, "This isn't my wife." So we'll have this lovely Mother's Day. Uh, <laughs> this passage, um, but it's like, okay, not only is it why is this included, but why is there a second one included? And some commentators have said all sorts of crazy things about that. Um, so I think we'll face this again. Hmm. But it's that this is real history. These things really did happen. That's the first the first part. But God doesn't record everything that happens in history. The Bible instead is revelatory history or redemptive history. It's those items which are necessary for us to know for both our being saved from our sin as well as the benefit of our Christian walk. So some things are about our need of a Savior. Some things are about what God desires of us to do, mm-hmm. like how he wants us to live. Mm-hmm. So in this passage, I think we see both what he wants and doesn't want, as well as our need of the Savior. Yeah. One thing he doesn't want is what happens to Noah. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't want what Ham does. Yeah. We were talking offline that there are a couple of different interpretations of what exactly, how, how bad was Noah's sin here? What was... Right involved in it Noah's part Noah's part you want to explain kind of the two different views on that yeah I mean why it may or may not matter right yeah I don't know how much it matters but okay (laughs) okay uh, because we had said you know there's the the view that this is Noah knew better and he just drank too much and got drunk and it's bad and you shouldn't get drunk and that's true you shouldn't get drunk that's what the apostle Peter tells us but there's some other interpretations that have said, well, you know, he's testing out his new wine and maybe it was, maybe there was some extra alcohol content that he didn't realize. And so it was accidental drunkenness. And so the meaning of it for that would be, it's not so much about his moral failure as it is his son who should have been like sympathetic towards his dad, right? Um, but in the other interpretation, it's that there's moral failure on both on both ends. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. Yeah. And, and even there's, then, there's still moral failure, even if he accidentally gets himself drunk. Right. Right. Just not quite the same level. Yeah. And maybe if we were teaching a whole lesson on the Bible and alcohol, hmm. we could tease out maybe some more principles from this. Maybe not. I mean, it's a pretty sparse narrative Yeah. as far as his culpability or not about getting drunk. The Bible's clear. Drunkenness is a yeah. sin. So at one level, it doesn't matter if you meant to or not. Mm-hmm. But as we think about our own personal growth mm. 
as we, you know, as we interact and live together in a fallen world, that is an important factor. I'm not sure how it impacts the text, right? Mm. Either way, uh, Noah sins, right? So he's not our hero, and also his son sins. Yeah. Either way, yeah. That, do you mind? Do you mind talking a little bit about what you discussed about alcohol? Yeah, as well as the issue of the the Christian conscience and the maybe. For someone who's who's abused alcohol or something like that, how how they should approach or could approach alcohol, yes. their view of alcohol. Yeah, yeah. I think it's very difficult. Uh, there's a, a number of factors. There's just alcohol itself, but then there's also the American culture we live in and American history. The last 100 years mm-hmm. has been uh, complicated, right? As it understands alcohol, mm-hmm. so I. I think a number of Christians miss out on my first point, and that's that not only is, let's talk about wine. I mean, alcohol, yeah. but but wine in particular, that's right. the biblical word. Mm-hmm. But I think it applies to alcohol broadly. Mm-hmm. But wine is, it's not just another drink in the Bible, mm. right? It, it, is, it has significant messianic and eschatological symbolism. It is pointing to... A time when the Messiah will come, when he will put wrongs to right. There will be a full harvest. There's joy and peace. And a symbolism of that is flowing wine. Now, I don't think God took something that was so wrong mm-hmm. to use it for such a beautiful picture. Yeah. When you say there's a land flowing with milk and honey, yeah. it's because both of those are good items. Right. right. It's the same with the wine. Right. Mm-hmm. We can abuse milk and honey as gluttons, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just the... The sin of, of drunkenness, I mean, it's it, it it's serious, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, it's a serious thing that yeah, we should be aware of. Yeah, it's condemned in the apostolic letters. Yeah. It's a hellish activity. Yeah, and so it's definitely something... Now, I think in the, the American church in the last hundred years, part of the sin has been to, uh, at least in kind of a fundamentalist context, has been to externalize all of our sins. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. if we stay away from... What is it? Smoke, drink, and chew, and don't Girls go with those who girl. do, or something like <laughs> yeah. that. If we get the external stuff out there, then we can kind of maintain our purity within. Mm-hmm. And that's just a wrong view of sin. Right. Right. Sin is within. Uh, the external stuff are really just occasions yes. for our sin. That being said, we have members and friends who have suffered deeply mm. at the hands of alcohol abuse, mm. whether it's in their own life, whether it's in their marriage whether it's growing up in a kind of a dysfunctional home because one parent uh, or both abused alcohol. Um, so at that level, we need to be very pastorally sensitive. I'll also say this because I'm not preaching and this is a podcast. <laughs> I think for the all of the good that an organization like AA, Alcohols Anonymous, has done hmm. uh, to help people beat the disease of alcoholism, I think they have also redefined some of the terms yes. that may be less than helpful Hmm. as we want to in a long term have a biblical view of alcohol and wine Hmm. and that it is something that is opportunity for our internal sin to come out Hmm. now how do we interact in the church when we have different views of alcohol and we have people who have pretty negative experiences with alcohol i mean it calls i think it it should cause all of us to have a great deal of sensitivity and sympathy Hmm. towards others Hmm. Uh, a willingness, absolutely, to lay down our rights, which Paul talks about in this topic on the conscience, mm. that we should 
take that as an opportunity to be sensitive to our brothers and sisters. Now, there's a, there's a flip side to that, mm. uh, and that is the, the care that we should all take to not demand that everyone else has the same sensitivities that, that I do right. as an individual. Right. And so we should be eager on both sides of the topic to lay down our personal matters of the conscience for the good of the body and the love of the brother. Now, I'm sort of rambling. I'm not sure if I've gotten to your no, that's, your point. That's great. The I, question. I mean, it's basically that biblically it's, it's viewed as a good thing. However, it, we can abuse God's good gifts both through drinking too much drunkenness or uh, too regularly to the extent that we're alcoholics mm-hmm. or are addicted to it as a substance and um, abuse it in other ways, mm-hmm. perhaps. Um, and so those are bad things. And as a church, I'm just try- sort of summarizing you. We need to walk in love with each other, being sensitive to one, one another. Mm-hmm. The person who formerly struggled with this or is struggling with it uh, shouldn't make unreasonable demands of their brother or sister, just mm-hmm. as their brother or sister should make unreasonable demands of them. Mm-hmm. We could both lay down our rights for each mm-hmm. other mm-hmm. In, in appropriate circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was sort of my question. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. Well, let's move on to Hamson because it's a mess. Yes. Um, there's a lot. Okay. Part of the problem people have is what's the big deal about right. what he did? And so <clears throat> one answer to that is, well, there's more interpretation going on than it really says. He didn't just see as that. He, I, I really don't want to say what yeah. commentators say because it gets pretty graphic yeah. and sort of inappropriate. Uh, but there's a lot of speculation on what he could have done that was so bad to have such a level of condemnation. That's mm-hmm. one way to answer it. Mm-hmm. The other way to answer it is what I tried to do was look at the sin as it's presented here uh, and the, which seems to characterize an attitude of disrespect and dishonoring of his father. Does that, do you take that same interpretation? Yes. yes. What's so, can you help, maybe help me? Because <laughs> I'm not even sure I communicated right. enough in the sermon. Like, yeah. what is so bad about what he did? I mean, part of it is the ancient Near Eastern cultural stuff. But I mean, even in today's culture, if if something like this was to happen, it would be extremely offensive. Uh, you might not disown your child for it, but uh, you would be extremely upset with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I remember reading, I mean, I don't reference everything Tim Keller says, but um, or agree with everything he says, but in his book, Prodigal God, he mentions the ancient Near Eastern father figure. And in that story of the prodigal son, he basically tells his dad, I wish you were dead and that I could have your inheritance. Mm -hmm. And that was a good way to get disowned in the ancient (laughs) Near East. Uh, And instead, the father shows his generosity and mercy by just going ahead and giving him the money. Yeah. Well, here, uh, Noah does what? you would expect, right. <laughs> right? which is bring down the covenant curses. And I think there's also probably a spiritual element to this, which I want you to talk oh, about. Oh, really? Yeah. Because okay. <laughs> you brought up, didn't you bring up yeah. spiritual element of this? Yeah. Is that okay if you, yeah. you mentioned that? Yeah. I, yes. I, I want to be careful because we're not told what Ham's motivations are. Right. We need to deal with the text as it says. He saw mm. his dad, told his brothers, that's bad enough. Mm-hmm. But there's a, there is a reason that honoring our father and mother is so important in the Ten Commandments, 
and in Scripture, more than uh, we, I think, really see in our culture today. Mm. And that's because it is tied to how we interact with God. Uh, and that not, there's exceptions to that. Mm-hmm. But you know, generally speaking, our earthly parents are the first experience we have in this world of God our Father. That's why the way we love and cherish and nurture our children is so important because we are showing them how their father cherishes and values them or or failing to do that. Mm. So a child's honoring of his or her parents is correlated in a spiritual sense of their care and love for their heavenly father. Mm. So it's, it's hard to picture a child who hates their parents Let's put the parents in a category of good and decent parents, mm. not parents who have been um, neglectful or abusive. Those are some spiritual challenges that individuals have to overcome mm-hmm. to understand the love of God. I'm talking about a godly Christian. Generally parent. speaking, godly parents to to hate and resent and mock them mm. while holding the space in our heart where we still love and honor and respect God our Father. There's a contradiction. That's, that's a contradiction. Mm-hmm. That seems those two things seem incompatible. And it seems like for Noah he's he's calling that out. And it's it's uh, I think beyond calling it out. The narr- I think the yeah. narrator is calling it out for mm-hmm. us. I don't I can't tell how much Noah knows. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of, does he is he just reacting out of vengefulness as some commentators say? And in the sovereignty of God, that is God's plan for the nations. It becomes a prophetic thing. Yeah. Or, did, you know, I hate to say this, but, you know, we sort of know our own kids. Mm. And so uh, hopefully my kids would never do this. I hope <laughs> I never put them in the situation to have to do this. But I don't want to talk about my own kids. <laughs> I can talk about my parents knowing me and my sister. Mm. And they would probably know if there's a broken window outside, mm. Sean probably did it. Yeah. Right? And so they would sort of recognize that. Mm. So I... I think Noah knows his son and knows his grandson. And I, I think this text is pointing us at least in that direction. Noah's not arbitrary. He's not randomly spinning the wheel and say, ah, Canaan's the one I'm going to punish. I think he he knows and has some level of, level of prophetic insight that lines up with the curse that he gives. Does that make sense to yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. I believe this is prophetic and predictive. Yeah. yeah. That the Lord inspired this, the spirit inspired this in him, which also means whether or not he had a bad attitude about it. Right. But that also means that he doesn't, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. You said prophetic and predictive. It's Mm. helpful categories because it means Noah didn't ruin Canaan's life. Right. It wasn't like, because I said it, God's bound to do it. Right. Right. It's, it's that this is the inspirative breathed out word of God, that God implanted this Mm -hmm. um, and caused it to be this way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some people would say, and we'll get to this in a moment, their argument against the curse of Ham being Mm. used to defend the enslavement of certain races, which I argued against, Mm. which we'll get to in a moment. They would say that's wrong because the curse comes from Noah and not God, so it's kind of inconsequential. Yeah. So that's not a very good way. That's a bad counter-argument to a bad original argument. So just throw them both out. (laughs) Yeah, neither of those are good. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So... My, the ultimate point I wanted to get to under this first heading, verses 20 and 24, man's constant failure uh, is, to quote Psalm 146, verse 3, put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. Amen. Uh, that <laughs> Noah is a righteous man, and that is a model for us in some ways. It's not here. 
But ultimately, he fails. Hmm. And we need Christ. Mm-hmm. We need uh, the only perfect son of man. Any other thoughts on the first point? Mm-mm. Okay. Well, let's move to the curse, uh, which is God's constant promise, verses 25 to 27. Noah curses Canaan, not Ham. Canaan is one of Ham's four sons. The curse consists of, in verse 25, a servant of servants, which is a, uh, a Hebrew way of saying a really bad slavery, mm-hmm. abject uh, slavery. Uh, one of the topics that comes up here is, and we sort of just hit on this, but how is it fair that God curses the children and not the parents? Mm. You think we answered that sufficiently? Well, I mean, Do you have anything you, else to add? You went through it pretty well in, okay. in the sermon, I thought, which was, it's that he knew the character of yeah. his, his, his grandchildren. That yeah. He had seen them, and, and then the Lord also uh, is doing this. It's yeah. the, the work of the Lord yeah. who is, I mean, he can... If somebody's sinning against him, he can call them yeah. accursed if he yeah. wishes to, yeah. uh, justly. Right. So, yeah, I heard on the news recently of um, who just died. The I can't remember his first name. Ponzi, right? From the oh. guy from the Ponzi scheme, Michael Madoff, Bernie Madoff. Madoff. Yep. And his sons were also. There was debate over whether his sons were guilty or not. So, Dad's um, clearly guilty. Right. How much did the sons know? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much? And and part of that is sort of is when we think of it, are they guilty or not? Hmm. And so if my if my dad is guilty of swindling investors of billions of dollars, and because of that he goes bankrupt and I have no inheritance, that's not necessarily God judging me, but I am receiving the fruit of the sin of my forefather. Hmm. Now if I am complicit with my dad in stealing billions of dollars, then yeah. Yeah, I am. I am also judged with bankruptcy and jail. So I think that's a little bit of what of what this is. There's a mm. reason it's Canaan and not the others. So the I don't know how much we want to talk about this idea of the curse of Ham. That's something I had never heard of, yeah. quite frankly, until a few years ago, like pretty recently. Is that something you had heard of yeah. growing up in the South? Definitely, definitely heard random people advocate the uh, the idea of the curse of ham as a, along racial lines and uh, as explaining racial differences yes sort as of? explaining racial differences yeah. and um, I yeah I repudiated that every time I heard it yeah that is not what that is that is not why people are the way they are yeah so yeah it's it seems to be an an example of poor exegesis to justify mm. behavior we're already involved in or already mm. uh, committing. Mm-hmm. So there's uh, some sinful behavior uh, that is in need of justification. I think I sufficiently dealt with it in the sermon. I don't know if you have anything else you wanted to add to that. I thought you dealt with it great. Okay. Uh, yeah, denying. It's, it's not biblical. It's clearly poor explanation of Scripture to justify sinful behavior and um, anyone of any race who employed it to subjugate another person along lines of skin color or ethnic group or culture is abusing the word of God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So 
Yeah. We should be upset about it. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We live in a world where it's these, these categories sort of don't fit and apply mm. as much anymore, right? All these names of people and tribes and, and all sorts of stuff. And we need to be very careful about filling that down in application to us today. Do you mind if I, I was going to read a quote from a, a different Presbyterian. Sure. Because, uh, thinking, yeah, some of our Presbyterian forefathers advocated this, and so did a number of other denominational forefathers, which is um, really tragic. Um, but I, I sent you this quote the other day. Oh, yeah. Are you okay yeah. to be reading that? Yeah, go. Um, yeah. It's on the history of the Covenanters, who are fellow Presbyterians. And um, it says, The earliest anti-slavery Covenanter was Scottish theorist Samuel Rutherford, who was Presbyterian. In his book, Lex Rex, Rutherford taught that, and this is what he says, slavery of servants to lords or masters, such as were of old amongst the Jews, that is, that happened later on, uh, he says, it's not natural, but against nature. Hmm. He was adamantly opposed to hmm. it. So it's not everybody. Yeah. Not yeah. everybody abused scripture to justify, yeah. but we, so we can speak against it as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, the final idea under the first heading, or second heading, excuse me, of God's constant promise uh, is the curse properly understood. Mm. Uh, this was sort of a fly over 100 years of history lesson, mm -hmm. uh, very quickly boiled down. But what we see in chapter 10 is the three sons spreading out through their sons and grandsons into different locations and languages. A lot, of the, a lot of the locations, we know what they mean. A lot of them, we have no idea <laughs> what they mean or where they are. But Did you research them all? Uh, I Did looked look at somebody them? else's map. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Color-coded map. Good idea. Uh, you know, one of our new members, uh, Chris Jones, has done a lot of research on mm -hmm. this time period and yeah, archaeology. I think he wrote a paper on, an essay on part of this chapter. Yeah. yeah. So you, if you want to know where they've all settled, you can go ask him. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you what we do and don't know. Right. <laughs> uh, but the chapter focuses on Shem, who is the oldest brother, but he's the last brother whose genealogy is given because it is through him, as we are going to see uh, this Sunday in chapter 11, uh, that Abram comes. So the, the long drawn out fulfillment of this happens first when Abram and his descendants conquer the land of Canaan and the Canaanites and the Canaanites become his servants. So I think that is the physical, partial, initial fulfillment of this curse. I think as with all fulfillments in part, it's not all there, right? The land of Canaan was not fully driven out. The Canaanites were not fully enslaved. So then I tried to make a jump, and I'm curious if you think I was clear enough on this jump from the these physical lines in the Old Testament that represent a spiritual lineage from the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent that we pick up in the New Testament in a spiritual sense. And now we do see Christ's physical genealogy you know, traced down through all these proper lineages. We don't have a seed of the serpent parallel genealogy to follow, but I tried to make the case that the, the spiritual sin of Ham that Noah saw in Canaan was carried out in the Canaanites and is seen today in those who reject Christ in a spiritual rejection of their father. Mm -hmm. 
Is that like fair? You're, you're doing typology. I mean, how far can it, I go down? No, into it is that? fair. Is that fair? That's, that's the purpose of Galatians three. Um, and let me just pull it up. Yeah, because that's that's Paul's argument in Galatians three. Is he says, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Uh, let me skip a little. It says, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you? Do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And he goes on in a little bit uh, to talk about how the Spirit is uh, the the true fulfillment of the promise mm-hmm. um, for the blessing of Abraham. That that's ultimately what the blessing is. It's not the uh, the the temporary land. That's just a small taste of the Holy Spirit in the world to come. So, yeah. what you said was exactly right. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly how Christ and the apostles interpret it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good, mm. good. I want to be in. Uh, that's good company. Yeah. So <laughs> it is. <laughs> All right. Let's let's maybe think a couple of applications as we close. Uh, the big picture gospel application is uh, believe in the promise of God, mm. not people like Noah. I think for me, and I, uh, one of the, and this is kind of going back to the first point, but what a, th- a helpful thought process for me is sort of. I'm not tempted to trust in Noah. Mm. I'm not tempted to trust in Adam. Like that's, mm-hmm. that, I don't know. I don't know if you face that temptation. I don't. I am I am tempted to find my joy, happiness, security in other people. Uh, in different, mm. Maybe it's an actual person. Maybe it's certain offices mm. in the church and the government. Maybe it's when my team wins. You know, things like that. And I think that's a, I don't know, as, we, as we're done, kind of rubber meets the road kind of application for this. Um, I don't think of looking to people as my saviors for eternity, but I, I do put that trust in them for my day to day, right? Your approval of me uh, can dictate how I experience my day to day, which is in a, one way of feeling the practical application of salvation that that is that we miss, right? If we're not resting in the mm. approval, support, salvation that comes through Christ and looking to others to kind of fill or meet those needs. So that's kind of a, a personal way to apply it. Mm. Any other thoughts on that yeah. vein or others as yeah, we think of yeah. applying this? So it's sort of like the issue of trust in our day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I think it was it last, not this previous Sunday, but the one before it that Jake Hunt filled in. And I think he quoted, again, Tim Keller, who said something about making um, minor things the ultimate things hmm. or something like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm butchering the quote. Yeah, but, yeah. But that's kind of what you're talking about, right? Is, yeah. Is taking something that should you should have some level of trust in it. Yeah. But what is our ultimate trust? Mm-hmm. And when, when we sing with the psalmist, put no confidence in princes, mm-hmm. nor for help on man depend, mm-hmm. it's not saying don't ever put any level of help or right. confidence on them. They mean that's that's not who you look to for your salvation. Mm-hmm. That's not who you look to to be the one uh, to give you your ultimate help, mm-hmm. right? Um, I'm, 
Yeah. So I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. 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 Mm. So sort of an encouragement that mm. if we find ourselves this week in a situation like Noah or Ham, <laughs> or uh, hopefully not that literal one, but um, the the frustrations, the despairs yeah. of life, uh, we have a better Savior. We yeah. have, uh, and really, this wasn't in the sermon. This was I sort of pulled it out and used it for the Lord's Supper portion, really the title of the sermon, Who Covers Your Shame, mm. that Jesus is the good and better Shem, mm. uh, and that Jesus didn't get the idea from him to cover mm. us up, and there's a sense in which he is walking after how God covers us up, mm. and, and pointing us uh, to Christ, really, you know, the, the brother who covers us. Makes, that makes us want to bless God. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. May and the take, God of Shem be blessed. Yeah, and I, you know, I think... Man, I can be bad, but laid out like Noah bad? I'm not that bad, am I? <laughs> uh, I think I am. I think I need the covering of yeah. Christ as much as he did. Mm-hmm. So uh, any other closing thoughts or comments? Okay, uh, we will uh, leave it at that. So thank you all for listening to Watering Seeds. We hope you found this conversation helpful as you seek to live out your faith this week. Join us next Sunday as we discuss, or next week as we discuss Sunday's sermon on Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. Give it a listen. Let us know any questions you have. We'd love to answer them next week. Until then, grace be with you all.